We just recorded with Victor Rodriguez. Uh, he's a coach. He's a sports fanatic and uh, just an all-around good dude. Uh, we had a great conversation. Deb is not uh, on this episode. Um, she's out of town for just a little bit. So uh, you guys are stuck with me. But luckily, we had such an awesome guest this week. Uh, you won't be bothered by it. Uh, but he's just a great guy. He's got a really unique story. Uh, it's a heartbreaking story, but his perspective on it and the way he views life and the way he views coaching is just really amazing and it's really inspiring. So um, we're kind of all over the place in this one. We talk about his coaching experience. We talk about his background as far as a, a baseball player. We talk about the Astros situation and their cheating. We talk about we talk about a lot of different stuff. He's a he's a great guy and a fun guy to talk to. So this one definitely went off the rails at a couple points, but uh, still a lot of really inspiring things that he said. And it's definitely something that I would encourage all coaches and all of your athletes listen to this episode because, um, like I said, it's it's just a really good. Um, it's a, he has a great perspective on life, and I, I think that's the best way to sum it up. So. Um, I'm going to stop talking and let you guys get to this episode. See ya. Now it is time. Now it is time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Character Combine. Character Combine. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, you ready? When he goes beyond the scoreboard, the scoreboard coaches, coaches, I want you to have the type of voice, type of voice that your athletes will hear decades later and still recognize the leadership that you hold in their life, in their life, in their life. Get this thing, get this thing started. Welcome to the Character Combine Podcast. I'm Josh Takamoto, and Deb is not here today. I was just about to say she's not with us. She's still alive, um, but she's just not here tonight. So uh, she had some family stuff she had to take care of. So I'm not worried about it, though, because today's guest is uh, a friend of mine. He's a coach, a sports fanatic, and I like to consider him a, uh, a GM of my arena softball team, Victor Rodriguez. What's going on, man? How's it going, man? I appreciate that. Those are uh, those are high words. Letting me uh, be the GM of your team—that's impressive. Yeah, it was impressive. I, I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to care about this, but you put together uh, my first arena softball championship team. I, I didn't realize that was your first one, but no, I mean, I loved playing softball with you, and uh, softball is one of my passions. So we had a good little squad there, and it was a lot of fun. I have not played arena in a, a really long time, but uh, that was those were good old days. It, no, it was fun for sure. I haven't played for a while either. You know, it's funny we were supposed to get a team together and uh and i think it was in march and then everything with covid started happening so it's like well i guess we're not gonna be playing arena softball for a while but uh that's okay we'll, we'll survive we got bigger bigger issues to worry about um, exactly i would definitely recommend playing outdoors over indoors at this point but someday yeah. <laughs> we'll get back indoors one of these one of these days um Hey, and you just did the Spivey podcast, which I was a little bit, I, it was a great podcast, but I was a little bit bummed because I know we were supposed to have you on quite a while ago and uh, they beat me to it, unfortunately. Well, I mean, you asked first to be fair, but like you said, like a it. lot of stuff just kind of happened and all of a sudden they asked me a couple weeks ago and I said, sure. And I've been joking with my wife that all of a sudden I'm on a little podcast mini tour of my own. So um, I, I warmed up with the Spivey brothers, but uh, we're here to we're here to do some character combine, and I'm excited about it. Perfect, I love it. It's almost like you're doing the ESPN car wash. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> so I don't know whose podcast you're doing next week, but uh, have fun, enjoy. Yeah, any other local uh, Sacramento podcast? You know, hit me up. You guys have my Instagram, my Twitter. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure you'll get some calls. <laughs> 
So let's get this thing started with some warm-up questions. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you guys know that Deb normally does this, but uh, you're stuck with me this time. So question number one, if you could make one food healthy, uh, for example, like if it was the equivalent of eating like a whole thing of broccoli, what would you make that healthy food? I think the thing that I eat the most that's terrible for me is pizza. So if somehow pizza could be healthy, that would be the dream. That'd be amazing. Yeah, just just 100% healthy, no carbs, none of that stuff. Yeah. I would eat I mean I already eat pizza way too much, but I'd probably <laughs> eat it every day if it was healthy. Yeah. See, I would love that. Like you go to the doctor and you have a little maybe high high uh, cholesterol so it's like, "You know what? You probably need to up your pizza intake a little bit. Get back on track." That'd be amazing. Maybe I'd one be day. like, yes, yes, doctor, I can, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> have you tried the cauliflower crust? I have never. Is it worth it? No, absolutely not. Rachel and I tried a couple times and we're like, you know what? Why are we doing this to ourselves? It's not worth I'm, it. Uh, I'm pretty standard. Uh, I'm either going to go pepperoni with extra sauce or if I'm feeling crazy, I'll go white sauce with chicken and bacon. So those are really the two that I go with. I don't stray that much. Okay. Those are, those are two good options. So you, why, why stray? You kind of have it. Exactly. When out. you figured it out after hundreds and hundreds of meals, you know, this is the kind that's good. So absolutely love it. All right. Question number two, did you watch that show pros versus Joe's? You know, I, I vaguely remember watching it, but I didn't watch it like religiously at all, but I think I watched maybe an episode or two. Okay. But you know, you know, the concept basically some amateur. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. If you were to compete on pros versus Joes, which athlete would you like to compete against? Oh, man. That's a really tough question. Um, I, I would love to, because he's my favorite athlete of all time, I would love to compete against Mike Bibby. And he's super jacked right now, so it would be really yeah. funny to see him competing <laughs> against me. Uh, yeah. But growing up, I was obsessed with Mike Bibby. I always rocked my number 10 jersey. Um, so it'd be fun, especially since he's like retired now. But um, as long as it's not in the gym, because he clearly crushes it in there. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> I kind of forgot about that. I have seen some of those pictures, and it's like a completely different guy. Oh, he's like twice the size that he was when he was playing, and it's all muscle. It's crazy to look at. Yeah, okay, so you'd maybe do like a game of like 21 with uh, – Yeah, baby. I think uh, – plus shooting was always the only thing I was good at with basketball. So maybe a game of horse or a game of 21, oh, something go. like that against Mike Bibby. Give me at least a, a fighting chance. Plus – I think it were almost the same height. So besides the muscle mass, like size wise, he's not going to dominate me and like block all my shots. I don't think he's there you go. for sure more athletic than me. So maybe <laughs> I'm off on that, but I think that's, that's, that'd be a fun one. Nice. I like it. That's uh, strategic. There was some thought that went into that. I like it. Yeah. So last warm up question. Um, this is Deb's signature question and it's something she likes to ask all of our guests. If you have a, if you had a song that's out there right now that you would consider your life song, or maybe it's a song that speaks to you right now in your, in your place in life, what would that song be? Oh man, that's a really good question. I love music. I'm obsessed with music. Um, and my, my style is very eclectic. Um, I would say like, it's a great question. My favorite band is Go Radio. So I listen to them all the time. Okay. Uh, and I think my favorite song by them that I probably listen to the most um, that kind of speaks to me is Goodnight Moon. It's one of their, it's probably their biggest song, um, but just a really great song. It's always kind of, it's, it's always just been a song that when I'm in like a mood and I really just need to pick me up, I can throw that one on. So I would say Goodnight Moon by Go Radio. If you haven't listened to it, highly recommend just go put it on. 
going to start out slow, work its way up, and it's going to get you. It's going to hit you in the feels. All right, nice. Everybody's got some homework to take away from this podcast. Yeah. I like it. Cool, man. Well, you survived, you survived the warm-up questions. Well done. The rest that third of it, one got me. I've heard it, too, and I, I should have known it was coming. And I still, when you said it, I was like, man, I forgot to think of a song. But I think that's the one for sure. I like it. No, people, people either love or hate that, that question. Um, and we even had, we had Michelle Dapper on uh, about a year ago. And she was actually the first one that got that question. And then just recently, about a year later, she got that question again. And she's like, I've thought about this all year and I still have no idea. She, she threw out a good song. I forgot what it was, but um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one for sure. There's too many songs out there. That's the problem. Yeah. I'll be in the car driving somewhere this week and I'll hear a song and be like, that is what I should have told Josh. And I'll text you about it. And I'll be like, this is actually what I meant, but we're going to go with what I told you for now. You know, it's funny you say that. You know who actually did that was uh, your buddy, Noah Brewster. Did he really? He was on our, he was on our podcast with Scott Templeton and, uh, I think he couldn't think of a song right away. And then I think it was like four or five weeks later, he just sent me a DM. He's like, Hey man, I finally got the song. <laughs> You're like, well, the episode's already released. So this is great to know. Hey, we're cool with it. We still want to know what everybody's favorite song was. So that's awesome. Um, so we'll get this thing started, man. So we'd like to start off everybody with the same question and that's what's your athletic and coaching background. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the Sacramento area and, uh, I grew up playing baseball, basketball, soccer, um, I didn't play football, um, but I love football. Um, but yeah, I played three sports. I love soccer and baseball specifically. Uh, they were the two I was the best at. Um, played them both up through freshman year of high school. Uh, and then going into my sophomore year, I decided to stick to baseball. Um, I went to a little private school called Victory Christian. Uh, it's in Carmichael. Yeah. So um, baseball Gunter. program was still pretty good. Yeah. No, that's Valley Christian. So Valley's... Uh, in oh, Valley Brisbane. Christian. I love, I love Brad. Right. Brad's a great guy. I went to Victory, so a little uh, – actually, probably around the same size. We played against Victor Valley, um, but I gotcha. went to Victory. So, um, but, yeah, I, I, so I played baseball and soccer through freshman year. Uh, realized I was going to stick to baseball just because it was really my only passion, even though I liked playing soccer. I wasn't like, oh, man, I, don't, I didn't eat, sleep, and breathe it. Um, thought I was going to play in college. Um, I was a lefty, so um, I pitched and I played center field and a little bit of first base as well. Um, when I was going to look into colleges, I was looking at some smaller Christian schools because obviously going to a tiny private school, you weren't getting a ton of exposure. Thought I was going to go play at a school in Iowa called Dort. It was a little Christian college. Um, but my shoulder just wasn't – at that time, I didn't really know a lot about, you know, taking care of my arm. And I would never throw coach under the bus, but at the school, we didn't really get a lot of learn. Like, we weren't taught about taking care of your arm and hmm. icing and all the things that we needed to. So – my arm just wasn't ready to, to go still through after high school because I pitched so much. Um, ended up staying locally. And honestly, it was a blessing in disguise because it helped me get into coaching. Um, I ended up going back and my sophomore year of college, they needed an assistant coach at Victory. So I ended up being an assistant coach on the varsity team there for two years, which was pretty funny because I was, you know, I'm 19 years old coaching the varsity team, one of the coaches. So right. some of the seniors who are 18 at this point, because when I graduated high school, I was a 17 year old graduate. So it was just funny how it worked. I'm a year older than some of the kids I'm coaching, but coached there for two years. Um, two years. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and then obviously got married. Things happened in life, ended up getting um, an opportunity because I kind of grew up in just Heights Elementary School with the Cedarloft family who are over oh, yeah. at Casa now, you know, yeah. mix a coach there. So I had some connections over there. Um, a friend of mine who I grew up with, Tim Carroll, was coaching over there. A teammate um, of mine. And yeah, so yeah. Um, they ended up needing a coach over there. So after a few years at Victory, 
Um, I just felt like it was a really good step for me to step up from a private school, D5, up to the Casa Roble program. Uh, coach there with Coach Tupper for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely loved it. Um, ended up leaving there when I moved out to the Bay Area. Um, but yeah, so my coaching literally went from from Victory over to Casa. Uh, all six years I coached was on the varsity staff. Um, at Victory, it was more um, pitching coach, third base coach kind of stuff. At Casa, it was more outfield, uh, hit ground balls to infielders, that kind of stuff. But still great, still awesome. It was it was great to learn under Coach Tupper. He has so much knowledge for the game of baseball. Um, and he's a really good teacher of just kind of like life skills that are really underappreciated. Um, so I really enjoyed working under him for those years. And that's kind of my background with the baseball and my playing career and then my coaching career. Um, it's one of those things when you're younger, you just never really think like, oh, I want to be a coach. But looking back on it, um, coaching was always the thing that I think I was going to be drawn to at the end. That's awesome. And I have a lot of questions based on what you just said. Um, I'm always interested when, when you have someone that goes back and coaches pretty soon after they played at that school. Um, I know it can be a weird situation sometimes because for, for like a multitude of different reasons, right? Sometimes guys come back from playing college ball and they just have so much raw passion that they're too close to the guys that they are coaching. Or like you said, you're a year older than the guys that you're coaching and they remember you from your playing days. So did you experience, was it, was it a difficult transition to go coach at that school at that time? Or did you find that pretty easy? That's a really good question. I think it might've been different for me than others, but it was pretty easy for me. Um, I had really good relationships with the players who were older, um, who I was co- stepping into coaching with. So I didn't feel like I had an issue getting the respect from those players. And also our school was so small and such a tight knit community. Um, that the players who I didn't know had heard about me and my playing accolades and kind of how I, I did as the player at victory. And so I had that built in like kind of not legend status, but you know, he, they knew who I was and they were like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's a good ball player. So we should listen to him. So for me at victory specifically, it was a much easier transition than it was even say to go from victory to Casa where the students don't necessarily know you and you're just this new face on the ball field. So, um, both were great experiences. I loved my, my players that I coached at both places. Uh, but I would definitely say the transition, even though I was younger and may, it may have seemed like it would be harder, I think the transition into the victory coaching staff was actually easier on my end. Huh. Interesting. That's really interesting. Um, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, obviously I met you when you were coaching at CASA. Um, and I, I, saw, I saw you kind of coaching from a distance at certain games. I think I, I went to a practice or two. but you always struck me as someone that was a player's coach. And I don't know if you feel that way. And I don't know. That's a weird thing to say. I would not just say that just because you're a guest on our show, but it, it from the distance and even talking to guys that um, like there's certain guys that you coach that my dad coached when they were playing with my brothers and just the way they would talk about you um, that you could tell they had a lot of respect and they enjoyed, you know, being you like sometimes you have coaches that you respect a lot, but they're not the most enjoyable to be with. And then you have some coaches that are a lot of fun but you don't really respect him as a coach. And it always felt like you found a pretty good balance. Did you feel that way when you were coaching? I did. Um, I'm, I, I would, it's, it's always weird, like you said, to say like, yes, I'm definitely a player's coach. But I felt like that. I felt like I had a great relationship with my players to where if they want to talk about life, I'm there for them and they know that I'll give them the best advice I can. If they want to joke around, like as long as the timing is right for joking around, I was there for them for that. But also, we could be serious. I can give stern instruction. 
Um, and I can also just be there as a coach that they can kind of depend on when they need to. So I would definitely say that in my experiences, I lean towards being a player's coach. I, I definitely don't like being hard unless I need to be, but there are definitely times where, you know, you got to get in a player a little bit and let them know like, Hey, wake up. It's time to get in the ball game right now. Um, but at the end of the day, I want all my players to know that I care about them, the person more than them, the ball player. And I want to feed into them in whatever way I can, whether it's, you know, baseball wise or personal. So um, I definitely think that's a good way. I, I definitely look at myself as a player's coach, even though it is weird to say that. Yeah, no, I know for sure. I felt, I felt weird saying it, but I'll say it for you. I, I could tell that you were for sure. Um, how much did you put into like understanding a, a player's personality? Cause we've talked a lot about, about the show about, you know, you have the, the benefits of having a um, like a staff of coaches is the fact that, Hey, some, some player at CASA may not um, mesh as well with top or they may not feel, not even mesh well, but they may not feel as comfortable talking to him about something that's going on or off the field, but they might feel comfortable with you and, and vice versa. They might not feel comfortable talking to you, but they might feel more comfortable talking to Tup. So how did you go about understanding each individual personality? And then how did you go about coaching those different personalities? Yeah, that's a great question. There, there's obviously on a baseball field or any team, there's there's 12 to 15 to 20 different personalities. And and like you said, not everyone is going to get along. There are some players who are just tough to coach, you know. Yeah. Um, I would never tell them that. But in your mind, you know, like, okay, I don't really relate to this kid. How am I going to communicate my point to this kid in a way that they're going to, you know, appreciate it and, and it's going to drive them to be motivated more? Um, for me, Every year, it's a new, a new experience. So you're going to have the kids that you have relationships built with already. But I always took the first couple of weeks of conditioning and tryouts to just get to know the kid on a personal level, not even really worry about the baseball side at first. I'm going to see them working on their baseball, whether it's through taking ground balls, fly balls, BP, whatever it is. I'm going to see their baseball and I'm going to get an idea of how I view them as a ball player through that aspect. But I want to know them on a personal level, um, get to know them and what, they, what makes them laugh. What, what are they like? What are their interests? That kind of thing. And once I get to know a kid on a personal level, I feel like that gives me more of an ability to relate to them. And once I can relate to them, I feel like it just kind of, I just know at that point how I want to address things because I know what makes them tick. So um, I always start every year with a fresh start get to know the kids um, on a personal level. I think that's the most important thing for me specifically uh, more than anything is just getting to know the kids. Cause some kids, some coaches will just go straight into it first day. Let's start, you know, drilling baseball into them. And obviously you're, you're doing baseball. That's what we're doing out there. But um, I feel like you're not going to be able to, to get your message across if there's not some sort of personal connection there with the student, you know? Um, so that's really how I always looked at it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, so you're not currently coaching, but um, is it something that you want to do again? And if so, now I hope this is okay to say, but you have a you have a son on the way. Congrats on that, I by do. the way. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. I do. So I'm assuming that one day you'll coach him in whatever sport he plays, but or maybe not. Yeah, um, that's a conversation my wife and I have been having. I I personally have never wanted to really coach my son. Um, oh, interesting. I can tell I by your face. Be, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. I'm trying to not give that away, but I think it would be more enjoyable just to sit back, watch my son and see what he can earn his own merits. And I know, I know that not all coaches play favoritism when they have their own son on a team. Yeah. Um, but I, I've just gone through it enough to know that there's a stigma with it where sure. everyone just assumes if your son is pitching or your son's batting on the three hole, it's because you're the coach. So in my mind, I don't see myself coaching my kid, and I just want to enjoy his ball playing. Um, 
But at the end of the day, like my wife wants me to coach our kid, whether it's, you know, in little league or whatever. So at the end of the day, I, I may coach a little bit, but I definitely want to get back into the coaching at the high school level again. Um, I loved it. I only left it because my job kind of required me to step back for a little bit. Um, but I'm in a better place with work now to where I could probably get back into it if I wanted to. Um, and I think when we move back, cause we're living in San Francisco right now in the, in the Bay area. Um, and I think when we do move back to the Sacramento area, which, um, hopefully is going to be the next year or so, I definitely want to get back into it. So whether that's calling coach Tupper up and saying, Hey, you got a spot for me on the staff again. Um, or actually victory, the place that I was assistant coach at a long time ago. Um, one of my old players is now the athletic director there and he's reached out multiple times saying, if you want to come back and take over the program, you know, give me a call kind of a thing. So um, there's opportunities. Um, but I definitely see myself at some point in the relatively near future getting back into it. I just miss it. It's, it's being around the students, building those relationships, it's being around the game on a daily basis. Um, I know students dread practice sometimes, but when you're the coach, it's something you look forward to getting out in the ball field, um, throwing batting practice, going home with a, a shoulder that's burnt out because you're throwing <laughs> 300 pitches, yeah. you know, um, stuff like that. You just miss it when you're not around it as much as you used to be. So I definitely envision myself getting back into coaching. It's just a matter of kind of when and where. Gotcha. A, cu- a couple of thoughts on that. And this is just a random thought. I don't know why it just hit me. Did you ever consider being a teacher? You know, I've been asked this before and I really didn't. Um, you ha- you kind of have that vibe just based on what you just said. I know. I know. I've been told that people think I would be a good teacher. It just was never something that I was really drawn to maybe like a PE teacher or an athletic director, but okay. going into teaching itself, there was really no, there was no subject that I was passionate enough about to want to be like, okay, I want to be, you know, a history teacher or I want to be like a math teacher. So I've, but I have had multiple people say like, you'd be a great teacher. You should look into it. But yeah, maybe a PE teacher or an athletic director, but I just don't see myself as like a day in day out in the classroom teacher. So sure. Okay. Um, I had to be on the field with the players. I love, so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. Okay. Yeah, no, I, and I, I was just gonna mention too, I, I completely relate to you. I, I mean, I think I will eventually, uh, end up coaching my daughter, but, um, I've always had that same thing with the stigma of being the coach's kid. Um, now I think I have that thing in my head because my dad wasn't like that. He coached me for a, a good portion of my life, but he was not that guy. I was left off a couple of different all-star teams. A couple of years, he's like, nah, you're not going to play. <laughs> you, you didn't earn that spot. So I think that was a great thing for me to hear him to say, like, you know, this is not going to work out this year. You're not going to be on the team because you're my son. Um, and I think it's been beneficial. But I still have that same thought that you do when you see it. Because, you know, without naming names, we've all seen people throughout our playing careers through youth, you know, sports where that happens. And you look at the roster and then you look at that one kid. It's like, okay. Well, we kind of understand what's going on here, and it's it's unfortunate, but it does happen. It's an ego thing for the coach, I think. Yeah, and I would, like I said, I would just hate to be, even if my son is earning it on merit, I would just hate to have them talk about him as if he's getting special treatment because he's my son. Right. So all that said, my wife very well could be like, you're coaching him in Little League, and I'll be like, yes, I'll do it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it could very well happen, but my dream scenario would be to be able to sit back, watch our kid he doesn't want to even go through high school, you know, whatever our son wants to do, um, yeah. you know, I just want to support and be there as like a, as like a sounding board if they have questions or anything like that. So um, cool. I'm really excited to see what our, our son's into. Hopefully it's, he's a big baseball guy cause I'm a huge baseball guy, but, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. And, and for your sake, maybe soccer too. You and I, you and I don't see eye to eye on soccer. 
Uh, I, I am a big soccer fan. <laughs> Man, I can't – maybe you can explain it to me. Like, here's what I say about soccer. I, I don't understand it. I did play up until I was 12. Um, wasn't great. Like, I, I kept getting moved further and further back in the field where basically I became a defender. And it was like, hey, you're just kind of a speed bump. Get in the way. Um, but, I, 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 you know, when people talk about baseball, how much they think baseball is boring or they don't like baseball, I don't even have a problem with it because – in all honesty, I feel the same way about soccer. Like I just, I don't understand it. So I'm sure if I understood it, like the intricacies of the game, I'd appreciate it way more, but I just can't get into it. That is, that's a whole another podcast you and I can do. <laughs> we'll do um, it. Because there is so much into soccer that makes it special. Um, the thing that I tell people who just don't get it, or they're like, oh, it's so low scoring. But it's like, if you watch football and you see a touchdown, you get excited and you're like really pumped about it, but you see like five or six touchdowns a game every week, you know, with soccer, I feel like the goals just mean so much more because it's so much harder to score. Sure. Um, that just the thrill and the exhilaration when you do get one in the back of the net. Um, and I'm a Chelsea fan, for example, like okay. when they score, I just go nuts and it drives my wife my nuts. Cause they're, you know, they're 6am start times here in the Pacific coast uh, right. when they're in England over there, like 5pm or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's just a whole nother rush when, when you score a soccer goal um, or a football goal as, as soccer fans, real soccer fans will call it football. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, like I said, we'll have a whole other podcast. You can text me. We can watch a game together digitally. <laughs> okay. Like I'll just text you throughout the yeah. game. And I'll, we'll, we'll go through it. But, yeah, there's a million reasons why I love soccer. Um, it's definitely – I mean, but you know me, man. I'll, I'll watch anything. I, I'm a big hockey guy, you know, basketball, football. Yeah. I'll watch them all. So, um, but I do think soccer is underrated here. But it is exciting to see that it is growing in popularity in the United States. So, that's oh, yeah, exciting. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it seems like it's growing quite a bit because I just feel like – I feel like the amount of soccer jerseys I see these days – has increased quite a bit. So I feel like, and especially when the world cup comes around, I feel like the interest each year it comes around, is just growing more and more. So, Oh yeah. Throughout the entire country, it's growing astronomically. And then if you look in Sacramento specifically with, with the Republic going to MLS, I think you're going to see right. it grow even more. So um, Sacramento is going to have two pro teams and I think the Republic are going to have a huge following. So I think that's our end to get you into soccer is having a okay. local pro <laughs> team for you to support. And then once we get you right. invested there, will stretch you over to Europe, which is where I started. But um, either way, yeah, it's it's definitely a beautiful game, um, and it's just great. And if you're a big rumor fan, like if you're like, oh, you're a baseball fan, you just like baseball rumors, Yeah, the rumor mill in Europe for soccer is out of this world. Like every really? other day, contracts mean nothing. You can be sold or leave with <laughs> it during a – it's just crazy. It's like it's yeah. like if Buster Posey had four years left on his contract and was like, ah, I want to go to the Yankees, and like you had to get him there because like he'd be unhappy. It's – it's the rumor mill in soccer is crazy. You would love it. Okay. That part, I will say that part, uh, has drawn me in a little bit. I'm take, I'll take baby steps, baby steps to get me on. Yeah. Dip the toe in, dip the toe. in. you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll, 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 uh, I'll check it out. Um, so I want to, I want to take this into a, a little bit of a different direction. Um, a little more serious, you know, uh, com- part of the conversation. So if anybody knows you, they know you have a pretty, um, pretty unique story. Um, and you've started the, the Crystal Rodriguez Memorial Scholarship Fund. And, you know, um, it's a, a heartbreaking story behind that, but I think it's a really important thing for coaches and athletes to hear. Um, so for probably a lot of our audience who doesn't know you, um, can you explain a little bit about why you started that? Yeah. Um, so nine years ago now, actually, I, uh, I married my, my girlfriend, my fiance, my then wife, 
Uh, her name was Crystal Andrews. Uh, she actually went to Castle Roble where I coached baseball and uh, on our honeymoon. So we had a 14 day honeymoon planned. Um, we went down to LA to Disneyland and then went out to the Bahamas and just we we're at an all inclusive spot. It was really cool. And on the final day of our honeymoon, before we flew back, we decided to go parasailing. And um, it's really, I don't talk about this very often, so it's weird to talk about, but we, uh, we had a parasailing accident. And unfortunately, my wife passed away on our honeymoon. Um, I had all sorts of internal injuries. Uh, it was a really long recovery process for me as well, but we lost my wife. And so um, I was a 22-year-old kid. I thought the rest of my life was gonna be with this woman. And uh, it's all ripped away and it's just, just a tragic situation. And you're just shocked. Like no matter how many times you hear the words, like your wife passed away, like it didn't sink in. Like I, the doctor told me like 50 times and I swear every time it was like less believable than the time before. Um, but uh, the next year as time kind of went on and as I was processing like how I wanted to, you know, keep her memory alive as we went forward, um, the idea of the scholarship band, um, came to me and it's basically myself and seven or eight of, you know, her best friends from, um, the time we all kind of got together and we started this fund. And what we do is we do a couple events a year and we give out scholarships to outgoing seniors from CASA, which is where she went to high school. Um, and over the last nine years, we've been able to give $87,000 in scholarships, which is just an incredible number. Um, we started with a softball tournament. Uh, and then we kind of progressed. And so now we do a yearly golf tournament as well as a, uh, we call it a crystal ball where it's like a, it's like a night out where everyone dances, dresses up in a theme. Um, and then we're looking at expanding even more things like a poker tournament and some other things as we go forward. So it's been really incredible to see, you know, nine years later, um, the mark that she left and just how we're still able to honor her memory uh, at her, her school that, I mean, if you knew her, she loved Casa Roble. She was, you know, such a fan of that high school and the, the, the leaders and the people that impacted her life are from that school. And so us to be able to help students from that school, just a little bit, you know, our scholarships aren't the biggest, but they help with books or extra cash for students as they're in their freshman year of college. Um, but it's just been a remarkable experience for me to see the, the memory of her still being kept alive all this time later uh, through this foundation. So it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thank you for sharing that. Um, really appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I did, uh, I did not know Crystal personally, but I knew who she was and when I was going to CASA. And, um, you know, even from just seeing her, like you said, at, at every school rally or every game, like I feel like her presence was known um, and just had that incredible energy. So it's like, you know, I, like I said, I, don't, I didn't know her personally, but everything you're saying I could see from afar, which I think says a lot about a person. Um, yeah. Anyone, anyone who came in contact with her, she just lit up the room. Yeah. She had like the most, you know, she just had a spirit about her that was infectious. And uh, it's been, like I said, it's been really, really cool to just see the impact that she left. You know, she died so young. Um, but the impact that she was able to have in that short time is, is really crazy to see. And it's really cool. And it's really inspiring at the end of the day to, to realize the legacy you can leave in just a short time. Absolutely. Um, now does that, does that tragic event or just that experience that you had to go through, does that, I guess, how has that affected your coaching and how you relate to your players? Yeah, I've never really thought of that before. I think it gave me a, a different 
perspective on life and just realizing how important relationships are. And if I look at it, if I look at it, I, so I was coaching at victory when I was still with crystal before she passed away. And if I dissect the, the different ways I went about relationship building, I do think that the difference from at Casa was I was more invested in getting to know these students on a personal level in that point than I was when I was at victory. And I think it ha- comes back to the fact that I realized you know, just how short life is and how important relationships are and the impact you can have in a short time. So I would say that if anything, it made me want to be more invested in my students and my players' lives, just kind of knowing that nothing's promised and, you know, let's, let's, let's build the best relationships with these students I can because um, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. No, and I, and I think, you know, I think that's why, just for, again, from my, my personal perspective, I think that's why you're a great coach. Um, and just a great person, um, because I think just in the short time I've known you, it seems as though that's how you live life. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I had heard your story cause I, like I told you, I, um, was a teammate of Tim Carroll. I think he was a, a senior when I was a junior and, um, I had kind of heard your story and I didn't know who you were at that point. And when I first met you, they said, you know, this is uh, Victor. I'm like, Oh, and then it clicked in my brain that that was you. And the, what the whole story is like, I would to be honest with you, with you, dude, I would have never known just because of the way you carry yourself and the amount of joy and the amount of um, passion you had for coaching. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really cool to hear that you were able to take such a, a terrible thing and, you know, use that. And like you said, now you've inspired people, you've created the scholarship fund and um, just a lot of respect for you, man. A lot of respect. For I appreciate you. that. Yeah. I, uh, Obviously, there's a ton of tough nights. Even to this day, you still have times where it's really hard. Grief is different. Like everyone grieves differently. Everyone it hits them differently. Um, but I never wanted it for me to be a crutch. You know, I didn't want to be the guy that people would look at and be like, "Oh, his wife died. His life must suck." Like, hmm. yes, it's harder than others, and I got dealt a really crappy hand. But I also wanted to be the person that people could look at and say, "You know what?" Like yeah, he got dealt a really crappy hand of cards, but he's playing them the best he can and he hasn't lost his his desire to live and, and have a good life. So um, to hear that that's kind of how it was perceived, that's great to hear because I've always told everyone, I don't want people to look at me and think like, oh man, I feel so bad for that guy, you know? Um, so that's just kind of how I took it. And like I said, there are plenty of nights even to this day where, you know, I'm just sad about it because at the end of the day, she had so much life to give and so much that she could have done in this world that would have made a huge impact. But, um, the impact she left was just as important. So, uh, yeah, it's just a daily thing. You know, grief never really goes away. You just deal with it differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again for sharing that, man. Of course. Um, so we're going to once again, take a hard right because when you were originally supposed to come on this podcast, uh, we had just found out that the Astros Astros are cheaters. And so they are huge cheaters. And I, I, I was in an interesting spot because as you know, I'm a Giants fan. Um, mm-hmm. But my, my middle brother is a huge Dodgers fan. Uh, Ooh, okay. You, I know a huge A's fan. Uh, we've mm-hmm. had Michelle Dapper on the podcast a couple of times, huge Dodgers fan. Uh, so I was seeing a lot of different perspectives on this. Um, and I know you guys talked about it a little bit on the Spivey podcast, but um, you know, what are your, I guess, what are your thoughts? I'll just kind of leave it open, open question. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? Yeah, as a as a baseball guy, it's like one of those things where stealing signs is an accepted form of in baseball. And like right. I don't think everyone really understands that. Like some people just think, oh, they stole signs, that's really bad. And it is really bad. But 
I just want to make sure everyone knows, like, I think that ceiling signs is an actual art form and it's something that should be taught in the game, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way to go about it. Like, and when I was coaching, we would teach at second base, you know, look in, get a sign, delay, relay it to your batter, like give them an idea of what's coming. But I think there's a huge difference between that and having like a full-time staff member camped out on a TV in the back and then relaying it like that. That's just, it's against the kind of the code, so to speak, of like how you're going to go about getting it. So I always, you know, I always just thought the Astros were really, really, really good. And yeah. I still think they're really good. And that's kind yeah. of what makes me even more upset is I think they were good enough to do it without going to those extremes. Um, and as an A's fan, like they were always tough, but I definitely felt like they were tougher in Houston. And now it makes total sense because they had their entire setup there. And so they knew what pitches were coming. So on one hand, I'm like, listen, everybody's trying to get those signs and I totally get that. But on the other, it's like the extreme they went to. And I think I said this on, on the Spivey podcast as well. It's just the fact that there's no remorse coming out of them. It's kind of like a, I'm sorry, you're upset at us kind of a thing. It's not like a, I'm sorry, we did something wrong. So um, if they had been caught stealing signs at second base, like change the sign as a catcher, like you got to do what you got to do. But it's totally different ball game when no matter what you do, they've got someone full time zoomed in the camera on your signs and they're getting them all the time. So I right. just think that what they did was above and beyond what is an acceptable form of stealing the signs. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like we could, we could rant about this for a while, but yeah. And you're, you're, you're a big Twitter guy. So I'm sure you saw yeah. every, every excuse or every thought that was out there, but there was a couple that just drove me nuts. One was what's the big deal. And it typically came from someone who was not a fan of the game. So mm -hmm. it's like, you don't like baseball anyway. So of, well, of course you wouldn't care. Um, and the other thing was, well, everybody's stealing signs. What's the big deal? And just to your point, a completely different thing, because not only were they in center field, you know, zooming in, but they had, was it called code breaker? A, yeah. computer, a computer system to help them assist them break down the, the sequence of signs. And so once you bring in something off the field to assist you on the field, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, and people are like, well, everybody cheats. Well, it's, yeah, everybody cheats, but the, the goal should be to aim higher, right? Like you should yeah. aim higher and set a higher standard for the game. Um, and I was listening to- I, lo I love the people who were like, oh yeah, it didn't have an impact. And it's like, no, it had a, had a big impact on what happened. If you know every pitch that's coming, like that's going to have a huge impact. Well, that's what they say. I mean, hitting a baseball at the major league level is one of the most difficult things in sports. So, you know, the two biggest factors in hitting the ball is where is it going to be? Where's the pitch location and what pitch is being thrown? If you know what pitch is being thrown, then you, you're 50% of your work is already done. And so it's a huge advantage. And I think even Mike Trout said, he's like, man, I would love to hit if I knew it was coming. And I would love to watch yeah. Mike Trout hit if he knew it was coming. But uh, I was really, really excited for what was going to happen to the Astros on the road. Like, obviously, nothing violent maybe get a couple bean balls or whatever, but I was really excited to see the fan reactions and the fun that they were going to have with the Astros this year and trash cans. And I just feel like we're getting, it's being spoiled now because there's not going to be any fans, but I'm hoping that it carries over to 2021 when we get fans back in the stands, hopefully. Um, because I think there's some really fun ideas that fans can go with for how to troll the Astros and their, their trash can banging. Oh, no, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be incredible, well, especially for a team like the Dodgers who, I mean, have a, a real, real beef with them. Uh, was it the 2017 World Series or 2018? Can't remember. Huge, huge beef with them. And I mean, it was it last year I saw what they did to Bumgarner when they mm -hmm. hit the whole Max Muncy, go get it out of the ocean if you don't like it. 
And then the next home game the Dodgers had where Bumgarner pitched, I mean, they just let him have it. It was like ocean theme everywhere playing, you know, baby shark. And that was just for, you know, one comment he made. So I can't imagine what they had in store for the Astros. The, uh, I know the all-star game was supposed to be in Dodger stadium this year. And all the things I saw on Twitter were just how fun the Astros were going to have the guys who made the all-star team going down there. So, um, it's just an ugly situation. It's it's brutal because then obviously you follow it up in 2018 with the Red Sox and what they did, which apparently wasn't as extreme, but still involved videos and cameras and stuff. So right. it's just it's a rough scene right there. But um, I think they're they're getting it out of baseball. And again, let's just go back to the old ways where you're on second base and you're visually seeing the signs and you're relaying them that way. Um, when you start doing technology and stuff, it's just it just gets to a point where it's like, how is a pitcher? The pitcher's already got to throw it in a zone that you know where it's supposed to be. Right. Obviously, it's hard to hit it, but if you know where it's going and you know where it's going to be, it just makes it so much harder for a pitcher. And there were guys whose careers ended because they had a rough outing against the Astros in Houston. Right. And it's like you're literally taking money out of their pockets because they never got they never got called back up again because they got shelled. So right. it's just a really tough situation. Um and as a guy whose team won 97 games back-to-back years, you can't help but think, like, how many of those losses would have gone our way and how many wins that the Astros had that would they not have had? Like, are the A's not in the wild card game the last couple of years if the Astros aren't cheating? So there's just a lot of things that they leave a sour taste in your mouth. And I'm contractually obligated. I always say that as a husband of a Giants employee to hate on the Dodgers. <laughs> but it's hard not to think the Dodgers could be world champions right now if they weren't facing Houston. And I know – you know, Astros fans will say it doesn't matter or whatever, but you just never know the complexity of the series could have changed on a certain pitch that came and they knew it was coming. So at this point, it's just like Pandora's box is open. You just don't know what games were impacted or what happened, you know, so it's just tough. Yeah, no, it's just a wild situation. Well, it was interesting too. I was, I don't know if you're a fan of uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast, but um, I listened to, he was, I think he was talking to Jeff Passan. And something he said was really interesting because, like I said, a lot of the comments you were hearing were from sports fans, but not necessarily baseball fans. And he was talking about some of these things where people want to change baseball and change the game. Sometimes sometimes we put too much stock in what a non-baseball fan thinks about the game. It's like, that's really interesting. That's like if I was saying, hey, I think there's five things you could change about soccer that would make it way better. It's like, my opinion doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah. You don't know the intricacies. You don't know what goes into it that makes it work the way it does. So... Exactly. I think that's, that's a great point. A lot of time. And the thing is, is they're making a lot of these rule changes for baseball to try and get the casual observer or the non fan to buy in. Right. When in reality, you could be alienating fans who've been there forever because they don't like the changes you're making. So it's a really fine line baseball is, is walking on right now. But um, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like there is a lot of emphasis on the non fan or the casual fan when in reality, the, 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 the big fan, the major fan, the, the, the super fan, so to speak, those are the ones that are, you know, consistently coming out and putting their money on the line to watch this product. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It sounds like we got, we have a baseball season coming our way, so it'll be weird, but I'm, I'm still excited. I just need to see something. I need to see yeah. something. I um, heard 60 games and that was more than I expected. So I'm happy. Oh, for sure. That whole thing was a mess. And that's like, I feel like that's a whole other podcast we could do just on the exactly. whole. Exactly. <laughs> that's our third podcast. Se- third podcast. Soccer, third is the baseball labor negotiations. Perfect. Sounds good. And Deb will be back for that one. And Deb's also, uh, she's a, a PE teacher and a trainer, but she's not a diehard, diehard sports fan. So that will be a boring one for her, but she'll, she'll be okay. She'll be fine. We'll, we'll get her into that. We'll get her involved in the conversation somehow. 
That's true. She does like soccer. She's been a big, uh, she's been playing indoor soccer a lot. So you might, oh, you might have an ally in her as far as the soccer go. thing goes. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the high school sports season? You know, uh, the possibility of them not playing. Yeah, I think I, first of all, I think it's super sad. Like yeah. for the outgoing seniors who just lost their spring sports and now are walking into a college environment where they might be remote for their first semester. Like that's just, you're losing two huge major life events there. You're losing your high school graduation. It's not as celebrated or as exciting as it was. And then going away to college for that first semester is such a life-changing moment for a lot of these students. And um, who knows what it's going to look like. Some are going to go remote. Some might be on campus, but with major distancing requirements, it's just not going to be what they expected. And I just, I truly just can't imagine an entire school year without sports. And I know, I know there's a lot of things up in the air right now with fall sports, but I think if they don't have fall sports, it's going to, and the districts that don't have fall sports are going to lose a lot of students. I think you're going to see an exodus of students who are transferring to other districts that are allowing it. Um, It's a huge deal, whether it's just something that you do for fun to like get, keep yourself going throughout the school year or whether it's something you want to pursue in college and beyond, like, playing high school sports is very important to so many people. So it's hard to imagine not having high school sports, but then again, basically everything that's happened for the last three months has been hard to imagine. And right. <laughs> it's just crazy to think that we've lived this for the last 12 weeks or whatever it is. And uh, I'm really hoping that they're going to figure out a way to, to make it happen. But at the same time, like health and safety is at the utmost, you know, and, and if we can't do it safely, they can't do it. I just, I can't imagine in Northern California sports not happening for high school without just tons of students transferring to markets and cities that are allowing it. So it's just tough. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm still hoping that something happens where they're, you know, they can play. Cause yeah, I think this, the, the ripple effects of them not playing, um, like you said, I think specifically for the, the athletes personal lives, I think it's a really big deal. Um, especially for certain, for certain schools. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal and not, um, it's a big deal for someone that's going to go maybe play college ball or something like that. But, um, like I'm talking about just maybe just the, the mediocre athlete that just needs, like you said, that needs that just because it's something that they do and it keeps them active. I, I think it's a really important thing. So I'm hoping fingers crossed that something gets figured out where they can, you know, they can compete in the fall. But uh, I know and uh, we should be hearing a lot of that stuff in the near future, obviously, because yeah. We're going to need to have those things ironed out before we start rolling back into the fall semester. But yeah, I'm hundred percent with you, man. There's just so many students, whether they're looking to go to college or not, who just need high school sports. It's an outlet. It's something for them to do besides go home, do their homework and hop on call of duty, which obviously call of duty is awesome, but you need to do some other things <laughs> so, as well. So I'm so bad at call of duty. <laughs> I just started playing uh, about two weeks ago and I am, I'm the worst. I'm a pretty big fan. I play it more than I should, but we have a kid coming soon. So I think it's going to probably come to an end once uh, sure. our little son is uh, a newborn, but no, I, uh, I respect that. If you ever want to play, I'll, I'll, I'll send you my name and we can get you a couple wins. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. I'll, I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'll have to really think about that. Cause I'm, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> uh, did you watch any of the esports? Um, I've never been a big esports person. I have I can't not. Do it. I will. I, yeah, I'm just, it's just not a thing for me. I have a couple buddies who will send me like call of duty clips. Cause we have a little crew that play call of duty together nice. and the clips are fine. I'll watch a 10 to 15 second clip of something, but yeah, I can't just sit down and get into these, these esports. Um, it's crazy to me how much money is there in, in these things though. Like I was reading that 
G League players in the NBA, like minor leagues, are getting less money than the NBA 2K League players. So that's just – there's a lot of money in esports right now. It's crazy. Um, but, no, I, to answer your question, I have never really gotten into it as far as watching it. Okay, I thought I'd ask because I feel like people are doing just weird things during this uh, whole quarantine. So people, yeah. you know, like I haven't, you know, there's certain sports that I would never watch. I'm like, well, I'll check it out, you know. Um, it, was, it is crazy, though, the eSports thing. We were talking to Justin Sua, who's the um, Tampa Bay Rays mental coach. And okay. we were talking to him. It's like, do you know anybody that does the eSports thing? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I, I have some buddies that actually are mental coaches for eSports, uh, you know, athletes in air quotes. That's um, insane to me. It's a weird thing, right? Like I can't even imagine, but I mean, I guess it's a mental thing. I don't know. I don't want to offend it. I don't think we have any esports uh, listeners out there, so I, I can't really offend them. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what mental edge are we talking? Are we talking about just being able to focus more or what are we? Uh, I, I'm very fascinated by that. I might actually Google that a little later and find out what's up with that. Let me know what you find. <laughs> All right, deal. So, um, hey, man, I want to be respectful of your time, so I just have a couple more questions for you. Okay. Um, this, is, this is not on my list at all, but I'm just curious because you're, you're a big sports, big sports fan. So if you were to take – if you could create, like, the perfect athlete, and let's just, we'll try to keep it simple. You took, take the legs of someone, the arm of someone, and then the mind of someone. Any athlete, any athlete, three athletes, what would you – who would you choose? Um, the mind, I would probably say LeBron James. Uh, if you watch him play basketball, I know he gets a lot of the accolades because of his physicality, but if you watch him play, he is one of the smartest basketball players I've ever seen. He thinks yeah. the game two steps ahead. He remembers every play. Um, so I would definitely take his mind. Um, as far as arm goes, are we making a baseball player or what are we, uh, are we just making a strong person? What are we doing here? Uh, yeah, it's a throwing ability. So it could be quarterback, could be baseball player. Okay. Um, arm I will say Tom Brady because he's won like seven Super Bowls and it's hard to argue with that it's six or seven he's won a ton it's a lot of championships Um, so far yeah right and then legs I would take Bo Jackson because he was an unreal football player as well as a great baseball player and he was built like a tree like his legs were so thick and strong um so I would take his legs all right that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty crazy athlete I like it. I mean, I would not I, – yeah, I wouldn't mess with that athlete. That would be a great athlete and a very smart yeah. one. Yeah, no way. Um, I think I saw something on Twitter. I think you posted – or maybe you commented on something about – I think it was a post from ESPN, which, which athletes look the strangest in their new, new, new uniforms. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I did. And you said all of them. You know, I'm going to be honest. The one that didn't look that strange in the moment to me was Peyton Manning. I think you're right on that because he was there for a few years. We yeah. saw him win an actual Super Bowl with them. But in, I still, when I think of paid banning, I still think Colts. I do too. Um, but, I mean, I, I think of the six that were pictured, obviously that's a lot easier to stomach than Emmett Smith in a Cardinals uniform right, and, <laughs> and a couple of other ones. Tom Brady in a Buccaneers jersey will never not be weird to me. It's very strange. Um, so there were some that were just out of this world weird, and then Peyton Manning was just still weird. But – Right. I, I agree with you. The fact that we saw him win a Super Bowl with them and he spent, what, four or five years with them at the end of his career. So he was there right. for a while. Uh, and that one is definitely the best of the ones that I saw in that it's picture. It's so weird. Comments on, but it still was weird to me. Yeah, still very strange. Anyways, like I said, my, my thoughts are all over the place because rarely, like, we've talked to a lot of coaches and, and trainers and stuff like that. But, like, 
because I know you a little bit, I know you're a diehard sports fan. I have so many yeah. things just popping off in my head. So I'm going to try to. I can talk sports forever. So just anytime you got a question or something, keep it coming. Have you, have you considered uh, doing a podcast? I actually did for a while. Um, I you thought did? you have one out there? Fun. No, no, no. I thought about it. I, I oh, thought oh, about gotcha. doing one for a while. Gotcha. Um, I've cooled on the thought, but now that I'm on this podcast run with all you guys, I might have to like come back with it. Um, my idea was like a combo of like, you ever listen to the ringer? They have like food podcasts and sports yeah. podcasts. And I love the ringer. I always think it's something that was like all encompassing. Cause I also have a lot of hot takes on entertainment as well as food, obviously. Um, so we'll see. I, Oh, I think it would be a lot of fun. The problem is you got to find a good co-host and I wouldn't want to run like a solo podcast. Cause that just seems like a lot of, that seems difficult. Like so, <laughs> yeah, you got to have like the yeah. right person that you have good chemistry with. So, um, I have thought about doing one. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, it's just weird hearing yourself talk though. You know, like I started oh, listening yeah. to the Troy's podcast that I was on Troy and Zach's podcast that I was on. And I was like, Bailey, listen to this without me. It's too weird. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. It would be a lot of fun though. So it's not something I'm ruling out. There is a chance that you might see uh, Victor Rodriguez podcast at some point. Um, I just got to get like a studio set up and get all the gear and kind of figure out what my lane is going to be. But it's right. definitely, there's definitely a possibility. Okay. I hope so. Cause I think that'd be good. In fact, I, I've never told you this, but when I was first thinking about doing a podcast, um, you were one of the names that came to my mind as far as a co-host. But at that point, like when I thought of your name, I realized, oh no, he's not even, he's not even here locally. So this is not good. This is not going to work. <laughs> I'm not trying to swoop in on your partner's job, but you know, if you ever want me to come on as a, as a guest host, I am, I'm there for you. So I got you back. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind. Plus she's, she threatens to quit like every two weeks. So, um, oh, see, I would never do that to you. I would just either quit or be happy. This is the two things. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that about you. In fact, I'm going to send her this clip too. It's like, this is how a co-host should act. Either quit or just stick around and, and not complain. Yeah, we're, we'd be great. She's going to hate this podcast, by the way. Um, She's literally going to be like, this guy can never come on again. And I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm not pushing on your, on your territory, I promise. Oh, that's fine. I, I, I'm, I've been trying to push her out the door for a while, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, man, I, yeah, we could have a, a whole conversation about that stuff because I love the, the Ringer podcast. And, um, and like you said, everything, like I, I'm a big fan of their movie podcast and their tv show podcast um so maybe one of these days we'll have to we'll have to have a conversation about that as well there's too much to pack into this one podcast man i love it's it like much. i said now we're on podcast number four we're already got our show starting i know yeah we have we have four episodes we, we gotta think about this <laughs> <laughs> so hey man so the last question i want to ask you is obviously this is the character combine podcast with character in the title um how do you define character and then why is it so important for coaches to teach and for athletes to make a, a part of their lives yeah for me character to me is just what i am and who i am when no one's watching um so whether that's hum humility or kindness these are things that like i shouldn't have to have an incentive to be you know these are just things that i inherently take in my daily life and i treat people the way that i want to be treated um and so on and so forth but i think character is just kind of who you are when there's nothing you know there's no rewards for being humble or any of that kind of stuff so um that's kind of how i look at it and and i think these are things that you absolutely need to, uh, you know put into your students lives and kind of teach, speak into them just because at the, at the high school students specifically, like they're great and they're learning, but they still aren't finished products. And, and obviously your parents speak into you and they teach you all these things. And 
sometimes it's just better to have another set of eyes who can help you and teach you and guide you and things that, you know, you're, you're, you don't even realize you're doing. So um, for me, that's kind of what character is. And that's, I'm a big fan of kind of imply or implementing my thoughts of character into my students and my players. So um, that's, that's really what it is to me, man. It's just kind of what you are when no one's watching. There we go. Love it. Um, where can they follow you on social media? Uh, on Twitter at Victor underscore Rod and the number six. And uh, I have a lot of sports stuff on there. I retweet stuff. I post stuff. You, you follow me, Josh, you know, every once in a while, I've got a, a good zinger out there that I'll put out there in the world. Absolutely. It's a fun, he's a fun follow for sure. Go do that right now. So, yeah. So um, yeah, man, thank you so much um, for coming through and um, good luck with your, with your soon to be here son that's gonna be exciting and like you like we were talking about before make sure you get all that sleep you can right now because no i appreciate it i appreciate the well wishes and thanks for having me it's been a blast absolutely man take care awesome thanks josh